Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love him, I love him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My, my, my. Feels good to be in his presence once again on a Sunday morning. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the almighty anointing that is in this place. Where would we be without his power, his strength, and his anointing? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm thankful today to be a part of the body of Christ. If you have your Bibles, care to turn with me this morning two passages of scripture actually one passage two verses reading from the book of revelations chapter number three beginning at verse number 20 these are the words of christ verse 20 reads behold i stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Amen. From this passage, I would like thought for remembrance sake this title build a door build a door let's ask the Lord to help us Savior we love you we thank you God and we give you praise you are magnificent in this place and we exalt you and extol you Savior I'm thankful to be a part of your family Lord and I ask that you would enrich our hearts and our minds that you would bless us as the word is imparted this morning, I pray you touch these lips of clay, God, and the ears of the hearer, and that you would let this word fall like good seed on good ground that would bring forth fruit in its season, Savior. We love you and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. What a pleasure it is to be in God's house. And with that, I would like to say sincerely that I do appreciate my pastor and his family and my bishop and this opportunity to stand here before the best congregation on the planet it is an honor build a door it's interesting when you watch things grow plants grow I remember as a freshman one of my favorite classes were science and chemistry and in science, we learned much about the process of photosynthesis and um, how light helps plants grow and the process of all of that. And you can observe, and it does take patience and time to see, but patience and time is a great teacher. And we all must endure things through patience and with time. And you can note the mighty oaks that we have in Kern County, all over the place, scattered, especially in mountainous terrain. You will see craggly oaks that have sprung up from the earth, and they're not young trees, but they're trees that have been there for quite some time. They have, they have a lot of age on them, and they're very um, beautiful, majestic trees, and they're very rugged, and they have spent some time Growing When an acorn falls to the earth and is planted, there is not an easy process that takes place, but there is much 
adversity for that acorn to grow, for that seed to endure before it becomes the mighty oak that we love to see. There's a fight for fertile soil, and there is a fight for nutrients that will provide strength to the acorn and strength to the seed to give it that first energy to sprout tender roots which have to grow and have to reach down deep into the earth through rocks, through, through whatever clay may be there. It has to find fertile soil and nutrients just to get what it needs to emerge from the earth. And once it does emerge through the top soil, there is a tender plant blowing in the wind and it is suffering violence. It is suffering winds and even storms, and it has to come through a lot of things before it becomes the mighty, powerful oak. And there are animals that could endanger it and eat it. There are seasons of drought that may happen. There may be construction in the area that could wipe out the growth of this mighty oak. Even man can come and pluck it out with his own hands. There is a lot of things that a seed must endure before it is fortunate enough to mature into a strong, towering, towering tree that can provide many, 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 many things like shade. And shade is very important if you live in the desert. How nice it is when I drive in my subdivision that's only a few years old and I have seen those that early on in their construction phase after their home was built, they hired a landscaper to come in and make the lawn beautiful and manicured. And they planted trees, tender trees, and they even braced them with, with wood and, and tie-downs to make sure that the tree would go straight. And now in only a short three-year span, which isn't a short span I can drive through, and, and we were admiring yesterday just the growth of some of these trees and how much shade it provides. And and, and now this seed that has come through all of this adversity is giving shade, is providing a place to sit underneath in the heat of the day, a place for picnics, a place maybe even for some child's father to tie a swing set to the branch of a strong arm so, it can, so the child can have some entertainment and, and swing happily in the breeze because a tree has sprouted and has gone through adversity. Trees provide shelter. Trees can provide its own nutrients, such as fruit-bearing trees. But before they even get there, there's a lot of agriculture that has to take place. There's a lot of culturing. There's a lot of things that happen before the benefits can be reaped. And even shelter for other animals like fowls of the air, air and, and squirrels and things that live the insects that live off the bark and things that die like the leaves from the tree this oak that has endured the times test is now standing strong and it's providing yet it is still suffering violence it is still suffering storms it can just handle them a lot better because of the experience it has endured and even though this tree is strong it, it still will not be something that just has become, it, it still will have to face some things. Even 
eventually someone might come and chop it down and use this tree for wood, maybe for an old oak barbecue pit or maybe even wood for some cabinets or, or some type of carving. This tree was able to mature through adversity. Can I tell you today that adversity is unavoidable? You are going to go through some things whether you like it or not. You don't have a choice. Can I say it that way? I don't mean to be brass or rude, but I'm just stating it as a matter of fact. You're going to go through trials, and you're going to go through hardships, and that's okay. You need to learn how to embrace the adversity and let it make you strong and let it make you become something mighty in the house of God. Because without adversity, you will never be an overcomer. Without adversity, you will never be able to see the Lord's mighty hand work deep in your life. I want God to work in my life and I want him to be Lord of my life. And for that to happen, there has to be some battles. There has to be some victories and with the Lord on your side my friend you will grow strong and you will grow mighty and you will become what God wants you to be in his kingdom you just stay planted and you keep growing amen if adversity is kept from us it prevents the rich roots of character and learning It prevents us from having resilience. It prevents us from having creativity and conviction to germinate. You will become lazy. You will not be fruitful had it not been for adversity. The person you are today, and I look across this room, and I see testimony upon testimony, and you are a witness unto the enemy of your soul, and you have developed character because you have overcome some adversity. God has made you who you are today because of the battles you have let him win for you. You cannot fight battles on your own. There does take some resilience on your part and a mind that is made up But you've got to rely heavily on God and his word and let him fight your battles for you. That's why we're here today. That is why the church exists. Because we can't fight this battle on our own. We need someone on our side who is always victorious, who is impartial, who's somebody who will fight for his people. And that is the Lord God Almighty. And can I tell you just way ahead of this message that he already died for your sins. He defeated death, hell, and the grave, and you can win the battle. It may be hard. It may be a struggle. There may be some storms. There may be people trying to destroy you, but you can overcome because he has overcome the world. Are you thankful that you serve that kind of God this morning? That's my God, Jesus Christ, and he's your God too, and the same blood shed for me was shed for you, my friend. Let's put our hands together and worship him. No adversity, no growth. Some people say no pain, no gain. But know this, that adversity will come. John chapter 16 and verse 33 says, The words of Jesus 
These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That kind of doesn't fit. In the world ye shall have tribulation. One verse says, man is born in yet a few days full of trouble. It's inevitable. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be tribulation. But the master said, be of good cheer. And that's hard to do. Be of good cheer when you're going through adversity. Paul said, I, yeah, I rejoice in these things, in perils, in troubles. Why is he saying that? Why does he have good cheer? It is because he knows the one who has already overcome the world. He has a relationship with something greater than who he is. There is something residing deep within him and within you and within me that is greater than adversity. That is why we can be of good cheer. That's why we can hug adversity because we know in the end, no matter what, we are overcomers because we have an overcomer that we, str- that we serve. You've heard the term, the struggle is real. Anybody heard that? The struggle is real. You'll see it a lot. People posting on a diet and they're at the donut shop and the struggle is real. That's a self-induced struggle, my friend. There's some things you should avoid. You can actually cause adversity to your, to your own flesh. You should just learn how to avoid some things, right? But sometimes the struggle is inevitable, and it will be. And the struggle is real. There's a war out there. There's a spiritual struggle we're all engaged in. Whether you like it or not, there is an enemy of our soul who would like nothing better than to see you fall, to see you fail, to see you stumble and trip up, who would like nothing better than to see you out of the sure mercies of the Lord because he knows what he had and he knows what he has lost and his jealousy and his rage against all of that. He's decided and he's made up in his mind to make sure that he will do everything within his right and his ability to cause you to stumble because we have something. We have a promise and we have a savior. And the struggle is very, very real. The church of God, this church, the house of God exists today because the struggle is real. If there wasn't a struggle, there probably wouldn't be a need for the house of worship. But the struggle is real. But can I tell you, you after the after this fight is over there is going to be a crown ready for us there is going to be a place prepared for us there is going to be mansions in glory and more important than all of that we are going to see our savior there's a lot of things that you can see today and you can go and you can venture out and look at this world but the most important thing that I want to see on my last day is the master and I want to know that he knows me and I want to hear his words well done my good and faithful servant. That's going to be my reward and there's nothing that's going to stand in my way. No death, no hell, no grave, no enemy. Nothing is going to stand in my way. I want to attain the prize, but rest assured and know that God is on your side, but the struggle is real. The struggle is very, very real. Tribulation will come, but be of good cheer. 
I'm reminded of the waves tossing the boat. And Jesus comes walking on the waters. And here comes the disciple out looking and seeing Jesus. And he tells them, be of good cheer in the midst of a storm. Be of good cheer. Because the Savior is there. There has to be developed within your character a solidarity, a right, strong mindset. Amen? God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. We need some sound-mindedness in the house of God. When adversity comes, you don't lose your mind and go crazy. You don't turn your back on God or the people of God or the man of God. You need a sound, strong mind, a right mind. Reading from Daniel chapter number 6, Daniel was a man who had a right mind. Chapter 6, verse 1, speaking of Daniel, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. The king was worried about someone taking over, and so he developed this system where there would be this fail-safe. He'd have these three presidents, and he'd have these 120 princes, and, and they would have to give account to these men. Verse 3, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in Daniel. Daniel was a man who had an excellent spirit. Daniel was a man who was faithful to his God in a Babylonian empire. He was taken captive, and yet his attitude remained steadfast. He had a sound mind, insomuch that he endured some kings of Babylon, of Babylonia, and one of them was Darius. And his spirit went before him as one that was excellent, one that was faithful, one that had no error in him. And you could find no fault with Daniel. You couldn't blame him for anything. Even these other two jealous men came and tried to find fault with this good man, Daniel. And they could find no error in him. They were jealous. They wanted to bring him down because he was being elevated. Why was he being elevated? Was he doing something wrong? Was he, was he cutting corners? Was he trying to tear other people down to step on them and get to the top? No, he was just a man who was faithful to the things that God had put him over. And he was a, a man with an excellent spirit. And so verse 5 says, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. You know, you need to remember who your friends are. 
You need to be careful who are your peers. You need to watch those you work closely with. Jealousy should never be something in our spirit as servants of the Most High God. We should always try and just remember we're only servants. And if you keep a servant mindset, then I'm not going to be jealous of you, Brother Nate, when God promotes you, Brother Martin, Brother Laren. I'm not going to be jealous of you because this isn't about position. It's about his position in my life, and I'm going to make sure that I'm serving him with every capability, with every fiber of my being. I'm going to make sure that I'm pleasing God. I'm not going to be jealous of you. I want God to elevate. That should be our attitude. I want God to promote you. I want God to give you a blessing because why? Because you deserve it and you're going to face adversity in your life and you need to be strengthened and I want you to make it. I want to party with you in heaven and I'm not going to get there if I'm ashamed of you or if I'm jealous or if I compare myself to you. That is not the spirit that we need in the house of God today. We need brotherly love. Matter of fact, he said, I'll know you're my disciples, by the love you have one for another. We need to disperse more love in the house of God. We need to promote brotherly kindness. We need to say, you know what? I'm going to stand in the gap for you, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to lift you up. What are you going through? And I'm going to go to you in secret. I'm not going to make fun of you, but I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to talk bad about you. I'm not going to remember your failures and bash you in a party amongst other friends who are jealous, but I'm going to say, you know what? This man has an excellent spirit, and I pray the blessings of God are in his life. Hallelujah. Do you want the blessings of God in your life. Then start praying for somebody else to be blessed. Hallelujah. Start praying for that person that you're having odd against for God to give you a right spirit so he can bless them. Hallelujah. Oh, put your hands together. This is good preaching. Praise God. Praise God. However, that was not the mentality or the mindset of these others who worked closely with Daniel. For they desired to get rid of him completely, not just demote him, not just remove him, not just get him out of their, their way, but they wanted to make sure that they put an end to this excellent spirit of a man, Daniel. And so they devised a plan and they presented it to the king, how that nobody should pray. Nobody should pray to any God or any man, but to you, King Darius. This, this should be a decree that, that you have written into law. And this is, this is something that will protect you, King. You're worried about other influences coming in. Well, if everybody just pays attention to you, King, then, then you won't have any problems. And so King Darius signs the decree and he feels like it's a safeguard for him against any tyranny and against his kingdom. And now that it is a written, decree, a written decree and he has signed it and he has stamped it, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, it cannot be revoked. It cannot be reversed, even by the king himself. And so for 30 days, this decree was put into action. These men who knew Daniel understood his consistency and his lifestyle they knew that this man, Daniel, was a man of prayer. That's a good reputation to have. I want to be around people who know how to pray because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
availeth much. Get you a friend that knows how to pray. Get you a friend who talks to God. That's why our pastor is so important. That's why the people of God are so important. That's why our elders are so important because you are people of prayer. Get you a praying friend. They knew Daniel was going to be praying. And so after the king signed this decree, Daniel knew of the decree. Daniel understood that a law had been put into motion. But Daniel served the living God. And it had, had not it been for this God, Daniel would be nothing. He didn't deserve to be where he was already, for he was a foreigner in this Babylonian land. He was called by a different country that got sieged, and he now is a captive, but now has power. Yet with this understanding of the decree, the Bible says he walked into his house and his shutters were already opened toward Jerusalem. And as his custom was for his love that he had for the Savior, he prayed and he prayed diligently and he prayed three times a day because that was his made up mind. He was in his right mind when he was praying. He knew that no blessing would come his way unless he was talking to his God. He could not allow anything to sever that relationship. He could not let any decree stand before him and his God. There is no law greater than the law that we serve our God with. Hallelujah. There is no law greater that could take us away from this truth. And Daniel understood that. And he set this precedent. And so he goes and he prays to the one true living God. And as their plan was working out in their minds, they were waiting, they were listening, they were stalking this good, excellent spirit of a man, Daniel. His foes were nearby and they heard him praying. And so they alert King Darius of the happenings, of Daniel's behavior. And they try to make him look like a rebel. They try to convince Darius that he is violating law. And this is something that is already put into motion and you cannot reverse it. And King Darius loved Daniel and knew that he was a man of excellent spirit. And so he, he, he tried to find some kind of loophole in the law. He, he wrestled with this notion that, that he has to put Daniel to death now because he violated the decree. And, and these two foes, they, they said, you know what? You cannot go back on your word, king. It's law. It's, it's Medes and Persian law. You have to fulfill your duty, and you have to put him to death. And it was the Persian way of death to, to, to die by uh, the mouth of a lion. And so King Darius calls Daniel in, and we don't find Daniel, uh, we don't find Daniel arguing or trying to escape. We don't find Daniel running from the law. We don't find Daniel uh, cursing. We don't find him putting down the king or even his own foes. We don't even hear any bad word come from Daniel. All we know is this man has an excellent spirit. And so King Darius orders him to be tossed into the lion's den. And so off he goes and he gets thrown down into a pit 
where they kept these vicious, hungry beasts. And there was a stone they had to roll on top. So this was some type of pit, some type of hole where they kept these animals for this purpose. And the king all night wrestled with this notion, with this happening. And he he didn't want any food. He fasted all night. But he did tell Daniel, I know your God is going to do something. I know your God is going to deliver you. I know something is going to happen. In more or less words, he's letting Daniel know, I have faith in your God. Your testimony should be that what I'm doing for the Lord, how I'm living for God, it should affect others who aren't living for your God. Hallelujah. That should be your testimony. You don't have to be a preacher with words. You can be a preacher with actions. And we all should be preaching with our actions. We all should be testifying of God by how we're presenting ourselves, how we're giving obeisance to the Lord, our King and Savior. And this is the effect that Daniel had on his own king. His own king realized that Daniel had something special in him. Something was going to happen for Daniel's good. And so all night the king wrestles and he he has no entertainment brought in. They, They wanted to bring in the musicians and help calm Darius down, but he had none of that. He had none of that. He just, he couldn't sleep. And so at the breaking of dawn, King Darius hurries to where the den is to see if Daniel is alive. And he calls out, he calls out for Daniel, and he's very, very uh, weak. He's very worried, and he cries for Daniel, and he hears Daniel's voice. And he, Daniel tells him, oh, long live the king. The Lord sent his angel who shut the mouths of these lions. And even though the Persian law stated that there needed to be bloodshed because a decree was violated. The Lord's law overrode all of that. And he shut the mouths of the lion that day. And Daniel is saved by the Lord's angel. And so the king is excited and he commands those who accuse Daniel falsely, not only them but their families, the Bible says their wives and their children to be thrown into this pit of lions. And as soon as they go down, the Bible says that the lions crushed their bones. You see, these lions weren't fed the night before. There wasn't some kind of of other happening besides what the Lord did. Nobody fooled the king. The the lions were really hungry. And the lions could never get out of that pit because they would roll a stone on it. So the lions could have eaten Daniel very easily, but God stopped the lion's mouth. And so now when the accusers are thrown in, we see these lions eat the entire family, eat all of the accusers. And this was something that was uh, had to be done because... In that day, they believed that the children, if they had ought against you for what you might have done to their parents, they would rise up and kill you. And so uh, King Darius understands this, and so he just wipes out all the lineage, and he says, you know what, we're going to put this thing to an end. And so King Darius then makes another decree. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 26, King Darius makes a decree that in every dominion of his of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the god of daniel for he is 
the living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. There was a testimony of Daniel, uh, this man that had an excellent spirit that oozed out of him and it protected him. You know what Daniel was doing? Daniel had done long before any of this had happened. Daniel learned how to build a door. Hallelujah. I'll tell you where I'm getting this notion and this idea of building a door. Daniel knew how to build a door. There was a famous man who was once quoted in the 1900. He said, if opportunity doesn't knock, then you build a door. You make sure that you have something in preparation for opportunity to come. This is what Daniel did. He said, you know, I may be a captive, but I'm still going to do what's right. It may be hard. I may be in a land where they serve different gods and they're under a different law. But you know what? I know the real God and I'm going to build a door. I'm going to make myself an opportunity for the Lord to come and knock and open that door and deliver me. Daniel understood what it was to follow and obey God. He knew the stories of Moses. He knew the stories of old. He knew there was a God who could take a people out of Egypt and walk them through a dry bed of the Red Sea onto the other side of safety. Sometimes you need to be reminded that there is a God who knows how to deliver. There is still a miracle working God in Bakersfield, California. Yay, in all the world. And his name is Jesus Christ. Look around you. You can see all the good things that he's done. And he's not finished. He's not the God of the dead, my friend. But he is the God of the living. And if you if you still have breath, then my God can do something great for you, even in this hour, even in this day, even amidst adversity. Hallelujah. Put your hands together and worship him. We know Daniel to be successful. He didn't get eaten by lions. That's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Daniel. But that's not what made him successful. That was a result. That was a result of all of his hard work, of all of his faithfulness and consistency into God and the law of God. And that was God working through him. He was just building a door the whole time. God, I'm making an opportunity for you to come and knock. And this door is going to open and I'm going to go through it. If it looks dry, I'm going to just keep building the door. If it looks dead, if it looks like there's nothing but spoil, I'm just going to keep building this door. I'm going to grow through this adversity. If things aren't going my way, well, I'm just going to keep building this door. I'm going to create this, this place where you can come and you can enter in and you can make something great happen in my life. That's what we need to be doing doing today. You may feel dry. You may feel like you're in the valley of dry bones, but the Lord can make those bones live. All you have to do is keep being faithful. Keep building the door. Sometimes it takes a long time to get at a gate. Sometimes it takes a long time to build a door, but you just keep being faithful and you keep doing what God wants you to do and you stay firmly planted in the house of God and you never waver and you let the winds blow, but you don't cave and you don't buckle and you build a door because one day the 
master's going to come to the door and he's going to knock on it. And you better be listening because you can open that door and your miracle's on the other side. Your blessing's on the other side. That person you have been praying for to come back to the house of God, they're on the other side of the door. But they can't come through if you're not building. They can't come through if you're not faithful. They cannot come through that door if you haven't been rigid and steadfast saying, God, I know that you're faithful and you're going to reward me. Oh, somebody worship him this morning. He's a faithful God right here. <laughs> Let's just worship him and thank him. Hallelujah, Lord, do a work, God. I praise you. <clears throat> you may be seated. I'm building a door. Daniel wasn't successful because the lions didn't eat him. He was successful because of the obstacles he overcame. They say success is 99% failure. Because it's through that adversity and it's through those times we were weak that we realized we got to keep going because the struggle's real. We can't give up or we're going to be defeated. But if I keep building this door, if I keep trying, if I keep putting one foot in front of the other, yeah, those, those are small movements, but they're in the right direction. And eventually, if I'm persistent, then I'll get to where God wants me to be, and I'll be stronger to face other adversities. I'm building a door. I'm building a door. You can, there's, there's pilots in this room. Brother Landon, Brother Laren Kaufman. But you know, a plane cannot take off with the wind. It seems like that would be easier to let the wind push you. But that's not how planes take off. You've heard of headwind. Planes not only take off, but they land in the headwind. They, they land against the force they're trying to get above. Um, it's counterintuitive. The only way they can get the thrust is if the engines don't even operate correctly if, if, I, if I'm right, unless they have a headwind going into them. Counterintuitive. The physics are similar to like the recoil of a gun and Newton's third law, which says that every action generates an equal and opposite reaction. So in the case of takeoff, the fast air bearing down on the plane generates an upward force on the wings. Kind of like similar to a gun's recoil, which helps lift the aircraft. So a Boeing 747 can take off of the ground at 180 miles an hour. However, if it has a 30 mile per hour headwind, it only needs to reach 150 miles an hour to get the lift it needs to be airborne. Runways are designed. You'll notice Meadows Field, the runway 30R. I was fortunate enough to survey in the paralleling runway 12L. They are faced in a northwest direction. That's because in this part of the valley, the headwind comes from the, north, the northwest. And if you'll notice, each time you, most times, each time, unless for some reason the wind changes, you will be taking off northwest. 
you will also be landing northwest because of the headwind, which helps propel that aircraft into the air. Now, here's your Sunday school object lesson for today to give you a little uh, demonstration. Because of a wing's shape, and you've noticed the curved front of the wings, the faster velocity of air passing over, over the wing creates a suction, a vacuum on the upper surface of the wing, especially towards the front of the wing. And so, like this, you'll, I'll blow on this piece of paper, and you'll notice it goes up. See how it tries to lift? You see that? It's not pushing it down. It's pulling it up. Because that thing which is pushing against it is actually intended to get it off of the ground. The force that we think is trying to tear us down is actually the adversity that God is allowing to lift us up. Now, you don't, you don't go against, you don't go sideways because you'll just wriggle. You'll just fall apart. You have to face the opposition head on. You have to square. You hear me say this a lot because I heard it when I was a young person from a preacher at youth convention. He said, you have to square your nose and your toes and your shoulders towards Jesus and you keep walking that way towards Jesus, facing all the opposition because between me and Jesus, there's a raging sea. But in order to get from point A to B, I got to face the opposition and that which is intended to tear me down is actually the very thing that will propel me to go higher in the Lord. Hallelujah. We don't need to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine wherein they lie in wait to deceive. And there are many winds of doctrine, but there's only one truth. Hallelujah. Are you thankful today? Do you ever even feel special that you know this truth? The truth of the oneness of God. The truth of Acts 2.38. Are you thankful? Do you realize how precious and called we are to be blessed with the knowledge of the one true God and Savior? To think that he had picked you up out of the miry clay, Brother Kaufman. That thing that he picked me and selected me. And here I am to know the truth today. Oh, what a great thing to know. And there's all kinds of winds of doctrine that'll try and blow you down. But you don't be swayed by that, my friend. You just point your nose into that forceful headwind that's trying to keep you down. And pretty soon, if you just keep your speed, you keep your momentum, you continue steadfast, you keep doing what's right, you have an excellent spirit, you face all the adversity, you will sprout, and you will grow, and you will grow, and you will grow, and you'll face more adversity, and you will grow, and you will fly somewhere that you never thought you could be. Oh, put your hands together and worship him. Praise God. Praise God. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. 
Hey, if it, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. There's only one wind of doctrine I'm following. There's only one wind I need to be influenced by, and that's the rushing mighty wind sound that they heard on the day of Pentecost. That's what I'm listening for. That's the wind that's going to influence me, the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I want the Holy Ghost in my life. Without it, we need it every day. We need to pray every day because the devil, he's, he's trying harder every day. Every day, the enemy of our soul, he's trying harder every day. The politics of this world, I'm sorry if you're putting your faith in that. They're really trying hard to take away every value that we have, the principles that this country was built upon, which was the word of God. Hallelujah. And I'm going to stay on those principles, the principles that are spiritual, the principles of the word of God. We need to know that the word of God is more important today than ever. Hallelujah. It's the living word. It's a live thing that we need to get involved with. This is not a dead thing. This book isn't old, written by some men who didn't know what was happening, but these were holy men of God who wrote as they were inspired by God Almighty, the Holy Ghost. We need to read our Bible a little more and follow it a little more and pay attention to it a little more. When we're doing that, when you're praying and when you're reading your Bible, what are you doing? You're building a door. You're creating an opportunity. You're making a way, an entrance for the master to come into your life and to do something incredible. You know, you, if you're not praying and if you're not reading your Bible, chances are you're really on the edge. Chances are you're facing a lot of battles and you're not, you're not able to stand strong because your roots aren't reaching down to the correct nutrients. And therefore you're drying up. And you may know a lot of things. You may have heard a lot of messages. But if you're still not staying in contact and being a person of an excellent spirit, why was Daniel excellent? Because he always did what God wanted him to do. He always prayed. He always adhered to the law of God. He never let it be absent in his life. Even if it was just going to be for 30 days, Daniel. You just have to not pray for a merely just this 30 days. He said, no, I need this every day in my life. But Daniel, everything's going good for you. You're a president over 120 princes and, and you've, you've got control over all the land. You could just wait 30 days. No, you don't understand. Uh, I, I, I'm a child of the king and this is something, that, this is part of my relationship and I wouldn't be where I was today if it wasn't for God. Even when things are going good, we need to remember where our blessings come from. We need to remember the house of God. We, we need to remember our devotion unto God. Hallelujah. So what you do is you start, this is a quote, you start by doing what is necessary, then do what's possible. Everybody can do what's necessary, and you can do what's possible. Only control the things you can control. Do what's possible. Well, you know, I, I can go pray for 30 minutes a day. I can be early for church. That's possible. I can do that. Make that part of your character. Help it build your excellent spirit. And then pretty soon, once you do what's necessary and once you do what's possible, you're doing the, the impossible. And, and you're building a door. And now you're doing what God has called you to do. And there's going to be a moment when he stands at the door and he knocks. And when that door opens, incredible things are going to happen in your life. You're never going to be free from adversity, but you're going to be strong, stronger to handle any more adversity. Hallelujah. And you're not only going to be able to help yourself, but really what the kingdom of God is about, friend. 
What it is about is about others. If you're tired of your problems and you're tired of your difficulties and your situations, then get involved in someone else's. Start praying for theirs. Start being a helping hand to a brother and a sister. And you'll quickly realize how good you have it, my friend. I'm building a door. You have to create opportunities. And as the musicians come, I won't be very much longer. One of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible is a brief blurb about Jonathan and his armor bearer. You see, King Saul was being lazy. And he was anointed of God to be the king and ruler of Israel. And he was a warrior. He was a man tall in stature, a good fighter. And the Philistines were at war with Saul and the Israelites' army. And Saul one day was underneath a pomegranate tree with about 600 men. The ark of the, God, of the Lord was there and the priest of God was there. But he wasn't doing anything about pursuing the enemy, the Philistine army, who was awaiting to attack the children of Israel every chance they could. And they battled Saul all his life, the Philistines. Saul and his 600 men under an oak, enjoying the shade of a pomegranate tree, not worrying about the enemy on the forefront. But Jonathan, Saul's son, he had an understanding of God and how he could deliver. He knew that God was able to help those called by his name. And so Saul approached his armor bearer and said, Hey, let's, let's sneak out of this camp. Let's, let's go up to the Philistine camp up in Michmash. The armor bearer's all right. Whatever's in your heart, whatever you want, Jonathan, let's go. Let's do this. It wasn't an easy battle. It wasn't an easy trek. Because this narrow passage of Mi'kmaq, where the Philistines, a garrison of the Philistines were encamped, there was a sharp ledge on either side. And so in order to get to the top of this narrow passage, there was going to be some effort on Jonathan's part, on the armor bearer's part. They would have to carry their instruments of war up this craggly, steep mountain to get to where the enemy was. And I like Jonathan's thinking. At first, it's kind of bothersome. But Jonathan understood that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many of the enemy there are. God delivers by many or by few. And so here's the game plan. A, we'll go up, and if they come down, we'll fight. That was plan A. If they come down, we're just going to fight. Plan B, if they call us up, we're going to climb up, and God's going to let us win. Now, he didn't say, plan A, that they were going to win, right? Plan A, if they come down, we're just going to fight. What happens, happens. The struggle's real. But if they say, hey, come on up to where we are, then the Lord has delivered them in our hand. 
His attitude was, I am going to stand firm against the wind, and I'm not going to let this Philistine army come and take over with their plan and their laws and their rule and their reign and their ideas. I'd rather stand and fight and die. Hallelujah. That's kind of like the three Hebrew children. They're like, well, if God doesn't deliver us, one thing you can rest assured and know, King, we're not careful to answer you this. We're not going to bow because God is still God, and we only bow to God. We only fight for God. We're not going to let the enemy come in and take over. We're going to fight. And God's going to be with us. What am I doing? I'm building a door. I'm, I'm creating an opportunity. Hey, faith without works is dead. I'm not just going to sit by and say, God bless me. God, do everything for me. God, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And not do anything for him. Faith without works is dead. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they're crawling up this mountain. And, and this is Jonathan's game plan. He said, we're going to make ourselves known. <laughs> Just me and you, buddy. We're going to call out to those guys, those uncircumcised Philistines. Which is a very important phrase. Purposely calling them uncircumcised because... They were not under the law of God, nor did they care to be under the law of God, which required circumcision of the flesh. But these uncircumcised Philistines, or these people that care not about the law of God, these people that are trying to destroy us, this thing that I'm facing, this adversity that is against me, that is not of God, I'm not going to let it rule in my life. So they make themselves known unto the enemy. Here we are, and they're climbing up a mountain. Now the Philistines, if, if, if I was smart, hopefully I am, I would just take some rocks, you know, some boulders, kick them off the side, roll them down, hit them on the head, knock them out, kill them. Well, that to me sounds like an easy day, dishes are done, let's move forward. Right? But the Philistines said, because God had other plans, <laughs> the Philistines said, look, the Israelites are crawling out of their holes. <laughs> Come on up here and we'll show you a thing. So they wait for the boys to climb to the top of the mountain. And when they do both, Jonathan and his armor bearers start swinging swords under the anointing of God Almighty. And they slay 20 Philistines that day. The garrison had forfeited because God was on their side. They created a door and God came and opened the door for them. And here they are doing the will of God. And God did something great after that because underneath the feet of those Philistines, wherever they were encamped, the Bible says there was a great earthquake. It wasn't around Saul and his people, but they understood something was happening and they awoke out of their lazy slumber and said, hey, count the number of people that are here. Somebody's missing. Oh, it's Jonathan and his armor bearer. God had wrought a great victory because two people stood up and stood out and said, God, you're going to do something great. No matter what, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to face this headwind. I'm going to face this adversity. Hallelujah. As we stand together in conclusion, my opening verse says from the Lord Jesus, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Have you created a door today? Have you made an opportunity? Well, you don't understand the situation that I'm in. No, I don't. I don't need to know. But I can tell you something that will help you. 
There's a master who's knocking on your door. Have you created the door for him to knock at? Have you created the door for him to open? Have you built a door so that the Lord can work in your life? He said, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with me and he with me. He wants to sup. He wants to sit down. He wants to talk. He wants to have some some conversation with you. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter your position. You just have to have a door there. God, I'm ready. My door is ready. My door is ready. There's a welcome mat on the floor, Jesus. It says, welcome, King of kings and Lord of lords. I want you to come to this door that I've built. I want want to open the door, God. I want you to do something for me today. In the house of God, we have that opportunity. We have that moment right now where you are standing. We can just praise him and let him open the door. He said the next verse to him that overcometh. What? You mean I have to overcome? Yes, you have to overcome. You have to fight the adversity. You have to grow. You have to be strong and resilient. You have to be of an excellent spirit. God doesn't like lazy. He wants a fighter on his team. He wants somebody that knows this truth is precious. What I have is invaluable. I'm going to overcome. He said, I will grant you to sit with me in my throne. Holy Ghost is in this place right where you are hallelujah I'm building the door this morning let's pray as they sing just for a few more moments hallelujah let's just worship God hallelujah I love you Lord I'm building a door God this is your opportunity oh come on somebody the Holy Ghost is here you know the rest of the message you know the rest of the story hallelujah God is wanting to do a work in your life he's wanting to do something great hallelujah are you ready are you ready do you hear him knocking Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, that's right. Because you pay. 